Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a sermon from Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. In this five-week series on the Lord's Prayer, we'll explore why we pray, how to pray, and how prayer changes our lives. To find out more, please visit www.doxa-church.com or join us on Sunday mornings in downtown Bellevue at 9 and 11 a.m. This is my friend Jenny, and she's going to be doing the scripture reading this morning from the Lord's Prayer. Uh, As you know, historically in this series, we've had people memorize the passages of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But for the Lord's Prayer specifically, because of its familiarity and also just honestly its brevity, we featured the Lord's Prayer read in a different uh, language each week. And so this week, uh, Jenny will continue that. So let's thank her and give her a warm welcome, please. Womanjoint 不叫我们过见试探 Wow, it's really uh, awesome to hear the Lord's Prayer in so many different languages these last few weeks. I want to just pray uh, that God would speak to our hearts as we begin. Father, we come to you and we know our need for you. We thank you that you love us regardless of how many times we fail, fall short. We need you to teach us through the Spirit, speak to our hearts, open our eyes that we might see more clearly uh, give us a readiness to obey, and we ask that as a result of our time together, you would change us, and we know that you can, and we do this because we want Jesus to be glorified, and we know that the most flourishing kind of life is a life that's submitted to you and changed by you, so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the part of the prayer we're looking at today. Forgiveness is a really powerful thing. Uh, it's a healing thing. It's actually a freeing thing. It's a liberating thing. And the absence of forgiveness is an enslaving and debilitating thing. It's a, it crushes you. If, you. if you don't experience forgiveness, the weight of your sin, the guilt, the shame that you experience will crush you. And if you don't give forgiveness, if you don't forgive others, the brokenness in your relationships will lead to a life of destruction and really deep, deep sadness. We actually can't survive and flourish if we don't experience forgiveness and if we don't give forgiveness. If there's anybody who knows this, it's Jesus. He knows the weight of sin. He knows the destructive power 
of sin. He knows what happens when people don't experience the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, his message over and over again, whenever he was with somebody, was that you're forgiven. He would heal, and then he'd say, you're forgiven. And the religious leaders weren't bothered as much by Jesus' healing as they were his words of forgiveness. Because they knew to say, you are forgiven, was something that God gets to say. And if it really did work if some sinner, some tax collector, some kind of riffraff of society would experience the forgiveness Jesus was referring to, it turned religion upside down for these religious leaders because now Jesus was saying that people that didn't kind of do the right thing in the right way uh, on the right day in the right place were getting acceptance from God. It's a crazy thing. So Jesus, his entire message over and over again was about forgiveness. He understood how desperately we need it. If you speak to most counselors these days, they would tell you that most people who are seeing a counselor are regularly just addressing problems around the areas where they either need to be forgiven because they're still living with the guilt and the shame of something they've done or that they need to extend forgiveness because they've been deeply wounded or hurt by somebody else. John Stott, in his book, Confess Your Sins, you don't know who John Stott was. He's a great uh, theologian since past. He's in the presence of God now. Uh, he uh, wrote this book and wrote many books. He's a really brilliant theologian from England. And in this book, Confess Your Sins, he quoted the head of a large English mental hospital as having said this. He said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. It's a big deal. Even think about yourself. Think about the things that keep you from thriving. Almost always you're going to point to somebody that's hurt you that you still haven't experienced healing and forgiveness for or the way you've hurt somebody else and you don't like to face it. N.T. Wright says that we can do three different things with the guilt that we experience for our sin all of which are no good, to be clear. He says we can imagine guilt, we can deny guilt, or we can simply learn how to just live with guilt. All of them causing significant spiritual damage and psychological brokenness, not the least of which depression and anger will be the result of. None of these are good options. We, we've got to have a better option, and Jesus knows the option is forgiveness. He knows we can't handle the weight of our sin. We can't deal with the guilt and shame we feel. We can't even operate in relationship with one another unless we experience forgiveness, unless we give forgiveness. That's why he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then if you jump down a couple verses in verse 14 through 15, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I want to ask you to pause and ask yourself a question. First of all, do you struggle to ask for forgiveness? And if you do, why? Why do you struggle to acknowledge your need for forgiveness. Second, do you struggle to forgive others? So why do you struggle to forgive others? 
Now, how you answer question one provides a clue for how you answer question two. They're directly connected. And Jesus knows that. That's why he connects the two. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He knows that our ability to forgive others is directly connected to how we see our need for forgiveness and receive it ourselves. In fact, I would say that if you struggle with receiving forgiveness or you struggle with giving forgiveness, fundamentally your problem is your view of God, your view of self, and your view of sin. You wrongly view God, you wrongly view self, you wrongly view sin. And that in order to actually live out this prayer, our vision of God has to change, our vision of self has to change, and our vision of sin has to change. Last week I shared how the religious leaders called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard because of the kind of company he kept. He hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. In response to that, Jesus told the story of the the prodigal son. N.T. Wright actually calls this story the running father. And the reason why is because if you know the story, the younger brother says, I want all my inheritance now, goes off, squanders it, life falls apart, he's in the pigsty of his own brokenness, literally in a pigsty, and comes to his senses in that moment, realizes his sin, desires to come home, knows he doesn't deserve a place in the household, is just willing to be a servant in the household, and as he's heading home, his father sees him from a distance, and his father doesn't stand far off waiting for him to come and make up and clean up and perform up, but rather he runs, open arms to the son, embraces him. This is my son who was lost but is now found, who was dead but now is alive. He commands the servants, throw the best party we can because this son who is mine, I love him and I'm for him. And N.T. Wright says we should call the story the running father because this is the, the response of God to our repentance. When we come to our senses, we wake up and realize we've been in the pigsty of our sin and we confess it to our father in heaven knowing that he offers forgiveness with open arms. That's the father we have. And the problem is for some of you, the view that you have of God is nothing like this. The view that you have of God is much more like the religious leaders likely had. And when Jesus is telling that story, the older brother in the story is like the religious leaders who are stepping back and saying, yeah, you know what? I've been here obeying all along. What in the world are you doing? Why didn't you throw the party for me? Who's this? Why is he welcome? And for some of you, because that's the picture you have of God, that God is only going to reward those who behave well. You have a condemning, angry God in your mind for all those who've disobeyed instead of an arms open kind of running to you, Father. And because of that, some of you in the room are going, you know, I've, I've blown it too bad. I've sinned too much. How can he ever accept me? And I want you to hear that Jesus' view of the Father is the way the Father is. In fact, some of you are in the room and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and maybe you're just checking this out, but you, you've had a picture of what God is like that's very, very distorted either by our culture or your family of origin or maybe the, the reports you hear about the church from the outside. And I just want to tell you, nobody gets to tell you what the Father in heaven is like but Jesus Christ. He tells us what God is like. He tells us the Father's love looks like a running father with arms wide open to hug the, the, the man who's been soaking in pig stuff. I just want you to imagine that picture of this boy coming home. He doesn't get cleaned up and get himself put together. He's a mess. And the father does not hesitate. 
to wrap his arms around. For many of us, the reason why we have a hard time asking for forgiveness of our sins is because we actually think God is much more angry, stern, ready to rub our sin in our face, pour out judgment and condemnation all over us. And that is not the picture that Jesus gives us of God the Father. God loves you. Yeah, he hates our sin because of the way it destroys us, the way it destroys our relationship, the way it destroys our world, but he loves sinners. He loves the broken. He loves the needy. He loves to welcome us home. There are others of you here today that are blinded to the truth about yourself. Like the older brother in Jesus' story, you don't really believe you need forgiveness. You don't really think you're that bad. Last week I talked about the danger of affluence and how though it's, it's not evil to have a lot of things or to be wealthy or successful, but it is dangerous because the potential of us not being aware of how needy we are for God to sustain our breath on a daily basis is lost in the midst of our, our proficiency and our affluence. I would say the same is true for forgiveness. That our affluence can keep us from seeing our need for forgiveness because we live behind the facade of success that blinds us to our sin. But 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I want to remind you again what sin is. Sin is anything that falls short of the flourishing life that God created us to live. The Apostle Paul says it this way, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does he mean? He's saying glory, just so it's clear, glory is the the reality of God made known. It's the truth of the invisible God made visible. That's what glory is. So when something is glorified, it's seen for what it is. It's known for what is true about it. And so when the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he's saying all of you were made to be image bearers of God, displaying what he's like in your thoughts, your motives, your words, and your behaviors, your actions. And he's saying we've all fallen short of showing the truth about what God is like in everyday life. The reason why we call ourselves doxa, to be clear, is that the Greek word doxa is the word glory. We believe the church, because of Jesus, who is the true glory of God in physical form, and now he's the head of his church, which is his body, we believe that the church is now God's mean to make known what the invisible God is like. We are to be a display of the invisible God. Doxa Church exists to make the invisible God visible in everyday life. Now, we also know, every week we come here, that is an aspiration we fall short of. Every week we show up, you look back and go, we didn't do a great job. We fell short of displaying the true nature of God in our thoughts, our motives, our words, and our actions. Amen? Anybody else with me on this? So we come and we're reminded regularly why we exist for the glory of God and that we fall short. And that's why we have a cross on the stage. Because we need to know there is something to be done about all of our sin. And so we say to God, forgive us our debts because we know we've fallen short. We know that saying forgive us our debts is our way of saying we're helpless. We're, and in fact, we're hopeless. 
without you forgiving us because we know that the debt of our sin is too big for us to pay. Paul says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, the free gift of God is eternal life. So first of all, we have to say, yes, we've fallen short. And then we have to say, and the payment is death. Now, that's not just a future reality. That's a present one. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does this world feel like it's broken? Like, when you think about our selfishness and our pride and our greed and our insecurity and all the things that are going on in our heart, and you look at the world and you realize why it's so broken, that we see the wages of sin every day because we see the death to relationships. We see the death in our culture. We see the creation itself dying because we destroy it on a regular basis. I mean, death is evident because of our sin. And all of that, as I've said before here, all those little deaths that we see around us in our culture is God's screaming out, warning. It's like billboards on the pathway to seeing him one day. He's saying, those are all warnings that the wages of sin is death. And one day, if you don't turn from your sin and turn to me, you'll stand before me on your own merits and it won't be good because you will not measure up to glory, which is seen in Jesus, which means that's the standard. And so we come, forgive us our debts because we know the debt is big. We have a right view of God, we have a right view of ourselves, and we have a right view of our sin. And when we have that, it changes us. It changes how we relate. So that we can pray the second part. As we also have forgiven our debtors. See, Jesus knows that seeing our sin for what it is, seeing God for who he is, realizing our desperate need for forgiveness, when we recognize the cost, when we see the cross, and we realize that tells us how bad our sin is, it tells us how desperate we are for someone else to pay, when we realize that our sin put Christ on the cross, that my sin put him there, it's that bad, until I see that. Not just with my eyes looking at the cross, but with my heart realizing I need a savior. Until I see that, I will stand in the position of self-righteousness over everybody else. I will say I'm not that bad. Not as bad as them. I haven't done what they've done. And we will have no room in our heart to forgive anyone else when we don't realize how desperately we were in need of forgiveness. See, when I see God for who he is, my sin for what it is, and where I would be without Jesus, and then I realize I've been forgiven by grace as a free gift, putting my faith in what he did at the cross, then I join the Father with open arms and run toward any sinner that repents and say, yes, I'm eager to forgive. So the ones who have the hardest time forgiving others are the ones who either believe they have it all together or their sin is not very great. On the other hand, the ones who know themselves to be the greatest of sinners are the ones most ready to extend forgiveness. That's how it works. That's why Jesus can tell this story to Peter when Peter is asking, Lord, Matthew 6, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He asked Jesus as many as seven times, which was the kind of the religious requirement of the day. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times. But 77 times, which is another way of saying unending forgiveness. Therefore, he tells the story. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is several million dollars. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Of course, the, the man knows that's impossible. The debt's too big. So out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a couple dollars. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Hard words. This perfectly mirrors what Jesus says in the text today. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, first of all, I want, I want to be clear. Jesus knows the debt is huge. It's unpayable. That's part of what he's trying to make clear in this story is that you cannot pay it back with your best behavior. The other thing I love about this story is Jesus is trying to tell us a little bit about what the Father's grace is like when Peter asks, how many times should I forgive? Seven? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, yeah, that's enough? Because what does that mean? That means the Father in heaven is going, Jeff, one, sin one. Jeff, sin two. Sin three, sin four, sin five, sin six. And I'm pleading, please, please never sin again, Jeff, because that's it. There's no grace left after seven. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say? Yeah, seven times is enough. Because that would mean that's all you get with God. But that's not true. Seventy-seven. And that's actually his way of saying perfection, unlimited, eternal reality of forgiveness. It never ends. Oh, thank you, Father. But then he also knows. He knows if... If, if you see that and you know that and you understand the unlimited grace that God has poured out in your life that you do not deserve, then you will not be like the wicked servant. He knows that those who are unwilling to forgive others really don't know the debt that they owe and don't experience the forgiveness that God gives, that they are a person who might with their mouth say they believe it, but with their heart it hasn't changed them. So that's what this whole sermon has been about, a greater righteousness than the Pharisees and the teachers and the scribes, which is Jesus' way of saying a heart, wholehearted righteousness, a, a changing from the inside out kind of righteousness, not just an external prayer that we pray with our lips, but something that's flowing out of our hearts. So you're, you're telling me, Jeff, that if I refuse to forgive someone who sinned against me, then I will not be forgiven? I didn't say that. Jesus did. Jesus said it. I'm just telling you what he said. Wait a minute. I thought salvation was by, by grace through, by, through faith, by, by grace through faith, not by works. What's going on, Jeff? Is Jesus saying that my forgiving somebody else is the way I pay 
for the forgiveness from God? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, let's get back to the beginning. Forgive us our debts is the first thing we say, as we also forgive our debtors. He's getting the order right, but then he wants to show in verses 14 and 15 what it looks like when somebody experiences the forgiveness of God. They become a forgiving person. That's really important to get because here's how it works. The reason you and I would not forgive is because we don't get forgiveness. We haven't received it. To be clear, forgiveness of sins is not just a gift God gives, but a heart he changes. It's, not just, it's just not a legal thing that's working itself out on a spreadsheet. It's a transformation thing that when you taste and see that the Lord is good, when you understand his grace for you and his forgiveness in Christ, you can't help but change. It, it's not salvation by works. It's salvation that works. It changes you. And you, I want to be really clear. To withhold forgiveness from somebody else is salvation by works. You go, how? How do you, how's that work? Well, let's just think about this. If I go, you don't understand what they've done. It's really bad. Too many times. And then I say to you, would you believe you're forgiven by God? Yes. Why? Well, because... What's your answer? Because I didn't do as much bad stuff? I didn't do it as often? As soon as you say, I can't forgive them, you're saying, I have been forgiven because I'm not as bad, which is salvation by works. Because you're putting your trust in what you have or had not done or how bad you think it is. But at the cross, we're on level playing field. Every single person is a sinner. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus to forgive. We all need his life and his death and his resurrection, every one of us. And when I receive that, it changes me. See, here's what, what's very true. You, you and I do to others what has been done to you. And we give to others what has been given to you. That's how it works. You do to others what's been done to you, give to others what's been given to you. Someone after the first gathering came up to me and they said, so it's kind of like forgiveness is like re-gifting. I said, yeah, that's a good way to think about it. That you can't give forgiveness if you haven't received it and your unwillingness to give it is evidence that you haven't received it. That's how it works. Now, I want to be really clear. Forgiveness is not treating sin as though it doesn't matter. It's just the opposite. It's saying it's so bad. It hurts so much. It breaks us so significantly that you can't just let it go. You can't just look it over. You can't just go, oh, it's no big deal. No, you actually have to say, they can't even pay me back it's that bad. There's nothing that they could do to make up for what they've done. See, at the heart of forgiveness is the acknowledgement that our sin is so bad that it can't be paid, so a debt must be forgiven. And that's how it works with us, too. If you're going like, man, I'm going to wait till they make it up and treat me better, like, then it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, you can't pay me back. It really hurts. It really wounds me. It's really broken. And nothing you do will make up for that. It's going to require forgiveness. See, 
To forgive is our freedom from God to say, sin is really bad. So bad it took the cross. I had someone come up to me after a gathering one time and said, you know, I've got a friend. She's been deeply wounded by some people. These people that hurt her claim to be Christians. She can't imagine spending eternity in heaven with them. What do I tell her? I said, well, first of all, of course, we, we, all, we know that there are some people who call themselves Christians who aren't and continue to go on sinning as though they have no ability to, to change. And so we, we all have to be mindful of that's always the case. But I said, um, that's not her fault. That's not her issue. That's not her thing to figure out. That's between them and God. So what her thing is to figure out is, what's she gonna do with the reality that Jesus died for all sin? And he said, I know, but she can't imagine being in heaven with them. And I said, well, that's partly because the only way she can imagine them being in heaven is that as still sinners who are defined by what they've done. And the beauty of heaven is we are not defined by what we've done. We're, we're defined by what Jesus has done. And when we're in heaven with him in all glory, all that will drift in the past. And all we'll see is the glory of Jesus and our lives completely transform. They won't be the same people. So that, that's, that's the first thing she needs to hear. Second, the thing that she needs to realize is she, nobody should ask her to get over this. She needs to embrace how bad it really is. See, to forgive requires us starting with saying it's really bad. And so don't, don't encourage her to get over it or to act like it wasn't wicked. It's very wicked. What's been done to her was very bad. So that's what she needs. Now third, if it's really that bad and she's carrying it around on her shoulders, the weight of someone else's sin is gonna crush her. Someone has once said, uh, unforgiveness is like swallowing a bitterness pill every single day. It's just, it's just killing you. It's rotting you from the inside out because all sin requires atonement, which means there must be an equal payment for what's happened to actually satisfy the demand for justice. And so what's going on for all of you who have yet to forgive somebody, you are atoning for someone else's sin every day. You're paying for it. And you know it's not working because you're paying every day after day after day after day. And Jesus is going, I atone for sin. I'm the only one who can pay for it. And he, we know it because he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day to show his power over sin. So we have one who can actually atone for it. So I said, you've got to tell her until she goes to Jesus with their sin and says, Jesus, only you can handle the weight of it. I can't. It's that bad. And then you give it over to him and let him carry it until she does that. She will be the atoning sacrifice for the sin done against her, which will destroy her from inside out. Some of you, that's where you're at. You feel this on a daily basis. But, but what, Jeff, what if they never ask for forgiveness? What, what if they don't see their sin? What if they never repent? What if they don't come to us and say, I'm sorry? Well, you can't control that, but you can at least with Jesus, like he did at the cross, say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And let the Father deal with that. Right? And yes, you won't be able to have any kind of peace in your relationship or reconciliation until they come to their senses like the, the younger brother did and they come to you and say, I'm now seeing my sin and how it hurt you and I'm asking for forgiveness and you're there with wide open arms because you already had them open a long time ago when you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing with Jesus. And you said, one day when they come to their senses, I'm the running father joining you, Dad, running down the pathway to embrace this person with grace and forgiveness because my heart is ready for that, longing for that, praying for that, eager for that. And if you've lived for a while, all of you have somebody like that in your life. 
I have somebody like that in my life. I love him. That's why it hurts. And I pray for him. And a long time ago, I knew the father said, Jeff, you've got to stop carrying it. It's crushing you. And so I said, Father, I don't, I don't think he sees it. But you forgave me when I didn't see it. I didn't experience it till I saw it, but you forgave me before. And so I forgive him before he sees it, and I pray that he would see it so we could be reconciled someday. That's a regular prayer for me. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's a struggle for me. I'm going to be really honest. It's not easy. You know, someone's probably praying that for me right now. (laughs) Jeff doesn't see it. He really hurt me. God, would you open his eyes so he'll come talk to me about this? There's two sides to this, right? So I want to remind you that this entire sermon that Jesus is preaching is about human flourishing. It's about life in the kingdom. It's about the way things ought to be. Unfortunately, we live with a longing for the future, and so it won't fully be experienced until Jesus returns. But we should actually want it. And then we should live into what we want, which is that we'd experience this kind of restoration. See, at the heart of life in the kingdom of God, a life that's flourishing is forgiveness. It's at the heart. It's the center. In the kingdom, sins are forgiven. Sinners become saints. In the kingdom, debts are paid by Jesus and our wounds are healed through his suffering. In the kingdom, we're restored to God so that we might be restored to one another. In the kingdom, forgiveness has center stage at the cross. And everyone who's received this new life of the kingdom have the resources of the king. Everyone who's come to faith in Jesus has been given his spirit so that everything that is true of Jesus and everything that Jesus can do, we can now do with the spirit. I love how N.T. Wright talks about this kind of challenge of calling out for God to forgive us and yet not forgiving others and he just calls it out. He says it this way, speaking of these little pockets of Jesus followers in the early church called Jesus cells who were meant to be dispensers of forgiveness to the world. He says as soon as someone in one of these Jesus cells refused to forgive a fellow member, he or she was saying, in effect, I don't really believe the kingdom has arrived. I don't think the forgiveness of sins has actually occurred. Failure failure to forgive one another wasn't a matter of failing to live up to a new bit of moral teaching. It was cutting off the branch you were sitting on. The only reason for being kingdom people, for being Jesus people, was that the forgiveness of sins was happening. So if if you didn't live forgiveness, you were denying the very basis of your own existence. To refuse to forgive is another way of demolishing the bridge, the very bridge of forgiveness that enables me to cross the chasm of my own sin into the kingdom of God. To deny it is to deny the thing that I need. I want you to hear this. Everything Jesus calls you to is not just good for his glory and others' good. It's good for you. To forgive is good for you. Because every time you forgive, you draw on the resources of the one who forgave. Every time you face someone, you're having a hard time forgiving, you need the one who forgave you so you can give what you've been given away again. See, if I know that I'm forgiven, if I know it and I remember it and I daily reflect on it, if I continue to remember who God is, 
as both a good and loving father, but also a righteous judge. And I see who I am apart from Christ as a sinner who's become a saint in Jesus, but still sins. And I realize my sin causes death in my relationships and in my world, and it caused Jesus to die. And if I see that regularly, and I know it, and I remember it, and I reflect on it, then I am quick to give it to someone else. As I regularly remember my need and I receive grace from the Father, I become, you become, we become grace-filled people who get to dispense what we've been given. One of my hopes for our missional communities would be that we become confessional communities. Don't worry, I'm not changing the name. But wouldn't it be great if we were so quick to confess our sins one to another because we knew we were grace-filled people, grace-filled communities, and we knew that in confessing our sin, we were saying out loud, we trust God enough to be honest about our brokenness with one another, knowing his forgiveness is sufficient, and I don't have to hide anymore. That would be a freeing place to live. And then our mission communities, as they become confessional communities, would regularly confess their sins to one another and we'd be experiencing the running father embrace us every week or every day or whenever we get together. And then we'd be a community on mission to lost people, people far from God who would say, I don't know this love you're talking about, I don't know this grace you're talking about, but they would see it with us. They would experience it in our community to the degree at which they would say, is this possible? Can I come clean? Can I be forgiven? Can, can my past be Removed and given a new record, Christ's righteousness in exchange for my sin. And I, I promise you, if this becomes more and more true of us as a family, we're so amazed with grace, so living out a confessional lifestyle, regularly praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us, then we would become the kind of people who wouldn't look at down long condemning noses at others who sin differently than you, and you'd realize we're all in need of grace. We're all in need of forgiveness. We're all on equal playing field, level ground at the cross. We do what has been done to us. If you're not yet a Christian and you're going, I don't know how to live this life, I'm telling you, you won't be able to until you experience Jesus. Until you know the Father's love through Christ the Son, giving his life at the cross for you removing your guilt and shame, cleansing you from all sin and unrighteousness. And when he does that to you, you will want to do it to others. You'll want to forgive. Because we give what we've received. Anybody in need of grace today? I am. Even as I think about preaching this message, I'm already guilty of living, living it. Some of you are going like, man, we're not very forgiving people. Thank God he doesn't base it upon how well you forgive. Some of you need to come today going, thank you that you, you forgive more than seven times because I've been unforgiving more than seven times. Let's go to him and ask him to continue to remind us of that grace that's poured out for us in Christ. Father, we come to you, the running father, the father with open arms, the father who's eager to embrace your lost children, the father who throws a party. Well, who wouldn't want to come home to that? A loving father with a warm embrace even though we're filthy and broken. Who wouldn't want to come home to a party that's going on in heaven for us? We come to you, Father. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And we can't do this without you.
Thank you for giving us your heart, Jesus. Fill us and change us and move us towards these things for your glory, our good and joy, and for a world that desperately needs to see grace in action. We pray this in your name, amen.